0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host Michael Novogratz. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. He doesn't have a bipartisan bill. Nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratz, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, September 10th, 2013. I'll start this week's podcast with an update on Congress's return to session and the issues that they're facing in the next few weeks. Then, in our long composing tax credit segment, I'll discuss the fin- Financial Accounting Standard Board's Immersing Issues Task Force meeting scheduled for this Friday yes, Friday the 13th to possibly make a ruling on changing gap accounting treatment of low-income housing tax credit investments. A ruling that likely would have implications for other tax credit investments as well. I'll also discuss the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's decision to eliminate the requirement of audits for small multifamily developments. Then, in our historic tax credit discussion, I have some information about Virginia Governor Bob McDonald's campaign to change the historic tax credit so it can be used for school modernization projects. I also have a reminder about next week's Fast Approaching Historic Tax Credit Conference in Detroit. And finally, in this week's New Markets Tax Credit section, I'll alert listeners to the latest Qualified Equity Investment Report from the CD5 Fund, as well as some key dates that are fast approaching regarding the 2013-2014 New market Tax Credit Application Round. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news... Congress returned to session this week from its August state and district work periods. As I write in this month's Washington Wire, lawmakers face a number of legislative priorities in the final four months of the calendar year. These issues must be addressed once they get over the pressing Syria vote. These priorities include the end of fiscal year 2013, which is September 30th, as well as an extension of the debt ceiling, which is likely to be reached in mid-October. Furthermore, congressional committees are slated to hold hearings this week that may be of interest to listeners. Today, for instance, Tuesday, September 10th, the House Oversight and Investigation Subcommittee of the Financial Services Committee is holding a hearing on reducing waste, fraud, and abuse in housing programs. That hearing is expected to examine recommendations made by the Inspector General of the Department of Housing and Development. And then this Thursday, September 12th, the Senate Banking Committee will hold a hearing entitled Essential Elements of Housing Finance Reform. Two witnesses are scheduled to appear, Julia Gordon, Director of Housing, Finance, and Policy for the Center for American Progress, and Jerome Leinhart, Chief Executive Officer at SunTrust Mortgage. I'll report on any developments of note from those hearings in next week's podcast. In low Cash housing tax credit news, we begin with a segment on information about a long-awaited update to gap accounting for the long income tax credit. This update is coming from the Financial Accounting Standard Board's Emerging Issues Task Force. More specifically, the EITF will discuss a final ruling on proposed amendments to issue number 13-B, accounting for investments in tax credits. This discussion will be held at a meeting this Friday, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. The proposed amendments would modify the conditions that an entity is required to meet in order to use the effective yield method of accounting for qualified long-term housing tax credit investments, specifically, the current proposal would allow the effective yield method to be used if four conditions are satisfied: one, tax credits allocable to the investor will be available; two, the investor retains no operational influence over the investment; and a majority of the projected benefits are from tax credits and other tax benefits. Three, the investor's projected yield, based on cash flows from the tax credits and, and this is an important and, other tax benefits, are positive. Four, the investor is a limited liability investor for both legal and tax purposes, and the investor's liability is limited to its capital investment. Now, while stakeholders support the proposed amendments, they do have some concerns, and some of these concerns might be addressed on Friday. There's a concern that the Financial Accounting Standard Board hasn't provided adequate clarity as to the application of the rule for direct and indirect investments. There's also concern as to what the definition of operational influence is. And third, and probably most significantly, there's concern about using the effective yield method as opposed to allowing a more simplified version of straight amortization of your investment over the tax credit period. An effective yield calculation is involved and might need to be updated annually or even quarterly and as a consequence, many letters were submitted to the EITF suggesting an alternative of straight amortization of your investment over the tax credit period. Now we'll be sure to update listeners on the EITF's decision via our free industry alert emails as soon as more information becomes available. I also want to note that the proposed amendments will likely only reference long housing tax credits. However, A statement affirmatively limiting it to long-term tax credits we don't believe is likely. As such, investors in new market tax credits, historic tax credits, and renewable energy tax credits will need to be evaluating such a new rule and then, based upon that evaluation, determine whether or not similar accounting methodology could be used for alternative tax credit investments. Now, I do think it's possible for there to be a ruling this Friday, However, it's also possible that the ruling would be delayed until early next year. Now, if you want to get the Industry Alert email and you're not already registered, go to our website and just enter your email address in the Industry Alert email form. And while you're on the site, I'd encourage you to read more about the changes in an article there that appears in the online edition of the Novogatik Journal of Tax Credits. The article is entitled, Affordable Housing Industry Calls for Counting Treatment Change for Tax Credit Investments and it can be found at www.novaco.com journal. And listeners with questions or concerns about the rule changes can feel free to contact my partner, Bentley Stanton, in our Atlanta, Georgia office. You can also send him an email, Bentley, B-E-N-T-L-E-Y Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N, at novaco.com. Turning to HUD news, we have some important updates for small multifamily properties. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, last month issued a notice that revised financial reporting requirements for small multifamily housing developments. HUD Housing Notice 2013-23 states that owners of small multifamily developments don't, that's right, don't have to submit audited financial statements if they receive less than $500,000 in combined federal financial assistance. The two sources of funding HUD's referring to are housing assistance payments and FHA-insured mortgages. The notice applies to owners having a fiscal year end, December 31, 2013, and thereafter. So it's not last year, it's this year and beyond. The change is going to apply to roughly 2,200 properties. Now, in recent years, HUD has made an effort to streamline administrative processes and reduce costs. This effort was first recognized when HUD revised Chapter 2 of its Consolidated Audit Guide. To achieve that goal, HUD participates in the Rental Policy Working Group, along with a number of other federal agencies. The Working Group's goal is to align the financial reporting requirements of HUD and the U.S. Department of Agriculture's multifamily housing programs, and otherwise find ways to reduce overlap and duplication. This change will do more than just save owners the time and burden of being audited, it's expected to save small development owners between $2,000 and $10,000 per year in financial reporting costs, and that is expected to encourage owners to renew existing Section 8 Housing Assistance Program or HAP contracts. Small development owners will continue to submit financial statements to HUD electronically using the Real Estate Assessment Center's Financial Assessment Subsystem-Multifamily. However, these submissions won't be required to contain an auditor's opinion or report. The system will cross-check HUD's databases to verify the owner's certification. Now, I want to reiterate that while audits are no longer necessary, owners still must comply with their business agreements with HUD. If they do not, owners will be required to clear all non-compliance filings, which makes sense, and the department may take appropriate enforcement action when it's necessary. Now, if you want to read the notice, go to the HUD Resource Center at our website. You can also feel free to contact my partner Susan Wilson and our Austin, Texas office for more information about the impact of this change. In historic tax credit news, late last month, Virginia Governor Bob McDonald issued a statement encouraging an update to the Internal Revenue Code that would allow the Federal Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit to apply to tax exempt school modernization projects. The governor's statement came after he met with Paul Goldman, former chairman of the Democratic Party of Virginia and a longtime advocate of this change. Governor McDonald said he'd like Congress to focus on the wording of the prior use rule. As it is written, a developer looking to modernize an educational facility, such as a K-12 school operated by a tax infinity, can't use historic tax credits if they want to continue to use the facility as a school operated by this tax infinity. However, that building could use the tax credit if it was going to be redeveloped for use by a taxable entity as a school or more likely as some other purpose. Governor McDonald said that this rule serves no useful public policy purpose given the nation's need to modernize schools and it instead forces localities to pay 30 to 40 percent more than they'd have to pay if they could use the historic tax credit. Now listeners may recall that a number of bills have been introduced in the past that have also focused around changing the wording of the Prior Use Rule so that tax-exempt entities could rehabilitate schools and continue to operate them and be eligible for the Historic Tax Credit. Majority Leader Eric Cantor has in the past supported such legislation. Unfortunately, none of this past legislation has made it into the tax code. Continued support for changing this Prior Use Rule could result in new legislation being introduced. And if it is, we'll update you in a future Tax Credit Tuesday podcast as well as on our breaking news page at the Historic Tax Credit Resource Center. And I'd like to remind you that it's not too late to join us in Detroit. Next week, we'll be in Detroit at the Novagradic Historic Tax Credit Conference. At the time of this recording, there were more than 230 historic preservation and tax credit professionals registered to attend. And we're still very hopeful that the IRS will publish its highly anticipated guidance about allowable partnership structures for the historic tax credit very soon. And if it is, that guidance will be a key topic at next week's event. As soon as that guidance does become available, Nova and Company will alert the tax credit community via our Industry Alert email service, via Twitter, and online at www.historictaxcredits.com. In the meantime, I encourage you to sign up to join us for the conference. In addition, to discussing the latest guidance from the IRS. We have a full agenda panel discussions of timely historic preservation topics. We're also hosting a number of exciting activities in conjunction with the main conference. Those include a bus tour of historic tax credit properties in Detroit, a networking reception at the MGM Grand, and an awards luncheon where we'll honor outstanding historic preservation developments. You can sign up online at www.novaco.com events. I do hope to see you there. In new market tax credit news, the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund released its latest Qualified Equity Investment Insurance Report on September 3rd. Among other things, this report identifies the total dollar amount finalized by new market tax credit allocatees and the amount of remaining new market tax credit allocation to be issued. About $55 million of Qualified Equity Investments, or QEIs, were finalized last month. That's about $88 million less than $142 million finalized in July. It's actually the smallest amount of QAS finalized since April of this year. Now, this amount is small probably because many Community Development Entities, or CDEs, are busy getting ready for the upcoming application deadline of September 18th. That said, I wouldn't be surprised to see a significant influx before the 18th so these various prior allocatees can reference those closings in their upcoming application. As of September 3rd, the total amount of allocation authority not yet finalized for prior rounds is $4.8 billion. Much of that, though, is unofficially committed, I'm sure. If you'd like to review the latest QA report, go to www.NewMarketsTaxCredit.com. I note that this report does list which prior allocatees have this $4.8 billion still available. So it's a useful tool if you're searching for allocation. Now, for a reminder about some numeric tax allocation application deadlines. As mentioned, the online application deadline is September 18th. That's next Wednesday. If you have questions for the CDFI Fund, the due date for getting the questions in is September 16th. And I remind you that the allocation application attachments are due two days after the 18th or September 20th. My partners at Novograd Company can also answer any questions that you might have regarding the application process. I encourage you to contact Owen Gray in our San Francisco office Brad Elphick in Atlanta, Georgia office or other partners or principals in the Novogratic office near you. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogradic, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogradic and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com. Forward slash podcast, or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.